Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and I'm your host, Matthew Keevil. As usual, we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please do hop over to yukonminingalliance.ca to check out all the exciting exploration and development activity in Canada's Yukon Territory. And this is episode 67 for the week of July 17th. And uh, this is sort of our Yukon mega show. We do this once a year. Uh, as mentioned, you might have missed us last week. Leslie and myself were both up in the Yukon uh, at the Dawson City Investment Conference, as well as on a number of site visits uh, to sort of bring as much exclusive content as we could uh, from the Yukon, which, as we know, is, is one of the hotter districts right now in terms of gold exploration uh, from the majors. Uh, so we went up there, checked out a lot of stuff, and we'll be uh, sort of rolling it out as we move ahead here. Uh, this this week, we have a great couple interviews for you. Uh, Leslie's Geology Corner has returned. Um, applause, applause. Uh, this week, we have a great exclusive interview with Sean Ryan, uh, the legendary Yukon prospector who pretty much was responsible for the previous white gold rush, uh, people will recall, wherein uh, Kinross picked up underworld resources for north of $200 million. Uh, Sean was also played a part uh, in the coffee story, which uh, saw Gold Corp pick, take out Kamenak for over $500 million. Uh, so Sean's a good, uh, well-known name. Uh, they also talk about some funny stuff recently sean's been prospecting in newfoundland as well and caused the newfoundland staking registry to crash for two weeks so so you'll get the inside scoop on that story uh, where else he is active um and uh what his new deal which is called white gold uh is is up to uh it's a partnership essentially actually between kinross and agnico uh both supporting shareholders of sean's new deal um so he gets into a little bit of that process of bringing two majors together and consolidating his overall land packages into one company so we have uh sean ryan it's a great interview uh, and leslie and him get into some technical details that are really cool um including uh sean's drill to drone technique for exploration which is uh worth a listen for sure just to get uh some insights on uh, some of the new technology and innovations that are happening in exploration. Secondly, uh, I'm going to sit down uh, with the Deputy Premier of the Yukon, Ranj Pillay, to talk about socio-political issues. And uh, we discuss things uh, that include uh, First Nation issues, uh, the role of gold majors, uh, what sort of infrastructure spending might be coming down uh, from the federal government for the North. Uh, so we talk about a lot of really interesting stuff, including Bill C-17. Um, and we talk about this a little bit uh, colloquially. So Ranj and myself are very familiar with this because I've covered it and he's obviously dealt with it a lot. Um, if people remember Bill S-6, uh, it was a bill that attempted to essentially simplify the Yukon regulatory process in terms of permitting and re-permitting and reassessing mines. Didn't go over so well. Uh, it was sort of heavy-handed uh, in the way it was put together. Uh, led to a lot of lawsuits from First Nations. What we have now is a bill called Bill C-17, which is in the second reading in the House of Commons. Uh, and it is essentially repealing all the stuff that S-6 did. Now, when I was up there, some mining companies voiced concerns to me, uh, specifically in terms of uh, permitting new or expansion areas of a project. So the issue bills S6 sort of attempted to make it so that you didn't have to really go back to the beginning of the environmental review process if you wanted to expand your mine. Uh, Bill C-17's language is a bit uh, less certain in that regard in terms of what you would have to do in terms of regulations if you wanted to, say, build, expand your mill or start mining a new area of the property. So there were some mining companies asking me, questions about uh, what this might look like. There's some uh, lobbying going on, obviously. Uh, so we talked to Ranch a bit about that, uh, Bill C-17. We also talk a little bit about infrastructure, as mentioned. Uh, they're looking at new fiber uh, connectivity issues in terms of internet and uh, road access. So it's an interesting conversation. 
But before we do uh, dig into those segments, um, let's uh, crack in with our touch of macro for the week. Uh, we'll take a look. Actually, what I got this week was interesting. Uh, I hadn't got this before, but I got a big, huge whack and macro update from uh, from Macquarie. Um, and I hadn't had these before. So thanks to Macquarie for sending this through. Uh, but this talks a little bit about China GDP growth, uh, what's going on in the Eurozone, etc. Uh, so we'll run through that a little bit. As noted, uh, gold has gone up recently on inflation concerns in the U.S. Uh, Janet Yellen, head of the uh, Fed, did mention inflation, though a lot of analysts are anticipating future interest rate hikes. But just that sort of buzz about uh, counterinflationary pressure in the U.S. Uh, has driven gold up. Uh, it's trading at $1,242.50 per ounce at the time of recording. Uh, similarly, silver has followed suit, uh, $16.27 per ounce at the time of recording. Well, we've also seen a rally in copper uh, to $2.73 per pound at the time of recording. In addition, we also are having a good little zinc run here. Uh, now at $1.28 per pound. Uh, so those zinc deals, uh, we've covered a lot of them on the podcast, but uh, looking pretty good at a, nearly $1.30 a pound zinc. So something to keep our eye on for sure. Uh, but let's dig a little bit into this Macquarie note. Uh, they noticed uh, Europe macro, firstly and foremost. Uh, the Eurozone economy is growing more broadly at any time, quote unquote, since 2006. Uh, the ECB's monetary stance is, McCory says, probably the most important determinant of global asset prices at the moment. Uh, Thursday, uh, there is a policy meeting. Uh, it is a key event, undoubtedly, uh, but more likely the ECB, ECB is to announce big changes at its September meeting. Uh, the ECB still, quote, stands ready to increase the asset purchase program in terms of size and or duration, end quote. So there could be a forward guidance uh, we could see a little bit later this week. Uh, interest rate expectations have been rising in recent uh, weeks since President Draghi's 20, June 27 speech uh, in which he said, as the economy continues to recover, another direct quote, uh, in the UK, Tuesday's inflation data is the key release, uh, the last inflation print before the Bank of England meets in early August. Uh, meanwhile, uh, flipping over to China, uh, China's top leaders just finished the National Financial Work Conference, which is held every five years. Uh, the focus of this year's meeting was reportedly on reducing financial risks by deleveraging the system. Uh, Macquarie notes that this result, uh, the result of the conference, suggests that policy makers have come to understand the nature of China's debt problem and financial risks. Uh, well, the Financial Work Conference in 2012 emphasized the role played by finance in enhancing productivity, this most recent conference had a more sophisticated view on the limitations of financial reform and the importance of disciplining local governments. Uh, the key driver for Chinese financial markets in the coming years, according to Macquarie, is set to be ownership reforms or the lack thereof. Meanwhile, China's GDP growth grew 6.9% year-on-year in second quarter 2016, uh, beating the consensus of 6.7%. However, uh, Macquarie believes the stronger-than-expected data in June is a blip amid a gr uh, growth deceleration, rather than pointing to a new cycle upturn. The main driver of the Chinese economy remains the property sector, but given next year will be more challenging, Macquarie believes policymakers will be well-advised to lower the growth target for next year. Last week, gold and silver gained 1% and 2% respectively after U.S. data showed inflation falling. That's right, falling. Yes, on the logic that lower inflation means less Fed rate heights, especially as Janet Yellen, the Fed chair, in a congressional testimony hinted that low inflation was getting more worrisome to policymakers. Nevertheless, McCoy believes that the Fed will still look to uh, another rate hike later this year. 
And by the by, that pretty much wraps up our macro for the week. So we're going to roll directly into our Yukon segments. Uh, first, we'll do the geology corner with Sean Ryan. Then we'll hop over to my interview uh, with Deputy Premier Raj Pillay. Uh, they are a bit longer, so that we're going to be uh, running a bit over time this week, a little bit longer than usual, but not too much. Uh, it is our Yukon Mega Show after all. Uh, so please do enjoy these interviews, and I'll be back next week with even more exclusive content. Uh, once again, please remember to uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and rate this podcast on iTunes. Uh, this has been Matthew Keevil, and thanks again for listening to the Northern Miner Podcast. Here we are. I guess this is the geology corner yep. with the Northern Miner, and I've got a very special guest with me today. We are in the Yukon at the Yukon Mining Alliance big mining symposium I suppose and it's kind of like speed dating we're under a big hut and all these chairs with all the different mining companies kicking around we're jumping from desk to desk and so Sean Ryan's here and we pulled him off and asked him to come and join our podcast yep how's it going <laughs> so uh Sean lots of things kind of happening with you over the past year especially you've been making a lot of moves um right now I know your big story in the Yukon here is white gold yep so from what I understand, the story is that you had a lot of, a lot of these like free land claims and then um, you basically kind of optioned them to white we, gold. Yeah, we put them all like what it, kind of the analogy is I put all my eggs in one basket. Mm. So instead of piecemealing them out as I did on the last rush and that worked, that got a lot of different companies working the ground. So everybody was had their own two or three projects. So this time I decided to put them all into, under one basket. <clears throat> and then go at it with the approach with this drones to drill the ground truth method of exploration that we've been working on for the last well four or five years. So now the difference is is that historically it would take you two to three field seasons to actually understand one project. But now with because of this method of drones to drills, I could evaluate it within about a month. Yeah, I love this drones to drill thing. Because, you know, you hear about it and it's so, it's just a really quick way to evaluate a project. But it's so funny because it's so, it's such a simple approach to exploration. It blows me away that other explorers haven't been doing it in the past. Can you kind of break down what drones to drill really means well, for Well, really what our, from an exploration point of view, we have to answer questions. And it was how to answer the question as simple as possible, but also as economical as possible. So for the first part, we still need a soil anomaly. And so that's what that last rush allowed us to do. We did, we had over 250,000 soils. So that allowed us to figure out where the haystacks were lying in these mineral, I call them mineralized systems or haystacks. It's where we have a, where we found a bunch of gold in soils. Now, how do you evaluate that? Sometimes these soil anomalies are two kilometers by a kilometer. That's not the size of the ore body. They're quite small in there. So it's kind of like having a smoky fire and we have to figure out where the fire is amongst all the smoke. So the idea is that the drones to drills, what we did was a step-by-step -step approach. The first approach was to drone it, and that gave us the really a really high-res 3D blueprint of the worksite. So that totally, that's kind of our base layer, la layer to work Step with. Step one, yeah. yeah. Send out the drones. Yeah, and then the drones cool. do their magic, and it takes only two or three days sometimes to get a property droned out. And then once we get that data in, now we still have, we have a soil anomaly. So now the next question is, where are the cracks? And that's the simplicity of the soil anomaly is usually 
80 to 90% of the gold systems are related to structure. So I said, okay, let's go looking for the structure. Not the gold, nothing else, but let's look for the cracks. So this new IP, it's called DC resistivity. IP, we all know it from the exploration world. Usually they're 25 to 50 meter electrode spacings. Mm. But if you're looking 50 meter electrode spacings, you cover lots of ground. You can miss a but, crack easily. Well, the pro pro point is, is your resolution is at 50 meter electrode spacings, you look deep, Mm. but you actually, your resolution is 25 meter cubes. So if your structure is 10 meters, it'll be lost in that cube. Totally. So what we ended up doing was going to the environment world, getting a, a, a known DC resistivity system that are out there from like for the environment guys. And what we do is we put 84 electrodes back to back at five meter separation. So that we, we're looking at a swath of 415 meters wide. And we look down with super high res, which is two and a half meter resolution, down to about 100 meters. Okay. So now if we have cracks that pop up through that, we could see them as resistivity lows, basically daylight underneath the soil and all. So that was the next question, okay, there's the cracks, but you might have two or three cracks. So then the next question is, which crack has gold? Mm. So what we do is instead of trenching, we have this hammer drill that's on these lightweight rubber tracks that takes a probe sample down around so these are rabs yeah no no, oh, no this, this is, is called your... a gt probe and oh. it's and it's basically a hammer drill on these souped up rubber tracks that we have the same ones that the rab uses but it pins it just pushes down instead of trenching because now we're still i because now we're up to the stage that we say okay here's the cracks that potentially are underneath the soil anomaly which one has gold so now what we do is we probe the ground on five meter spacings down six feet, and then we take the rock from that bottom, and we take the soil particles, and we actually XRF that. So the operator knows when he's coming into the anomaly, if it's an arsenic gold system, and then he knows when he's coming out of it because he could see it with the arsenic. Because their XRF is reading arsenic, not gold, everybody. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> XRFs do not. Well, gold. they'll find some gold. Like they do hit gold, but the, yeah. it's a better. You need better grades, and yeah. usually we're in. Basically, we don't have enough. Like if you're in, if you're under 10 grams, yeah. it'll tell you you got gold, but you can't believe what the number is once you get past 10 grams. So we're not in that. Like we're, most right. of us are dealing with. So two. you're hitting you're hitting bedrock as soon as you get down to. When it, when that probe, what it's going to do is it's taken pieces of rock that we call it subcrop. Mm -hmm. So it's so it's better. It's deeper than a, the old trenching, because the old trenching only went down three to four feet, and it's a lot deeper than the soils. So what that does is it pins down where there's rock with gold in it, in that soil anomaly, and related to which structure. Mm -hmm. So once we actually pin that, so what normally the, the, the kind of the course is you got a nice soil anomaly, we go and do two or three days of droning, usually five days of DC resistivity, maybe five days of, of GT probing, and now she's ready to drill. And then we send in the GT grab, and then we poke our 100 meter hole in a 10 hour shift, 12 hour shift. We XRF the powder coming out of that. Mm -hmm. We put a downhole televiewer in the evening and then we move the drill after that. And so the idea is that we've been drilling a hole a day with this technique and the data that we're gathering is actually sent to the geos that night and they're actually able so to make a decision. Smooth. Now, the thing is with the televiewers, now pe yeah. people don't really understand maybe what televiewer is, and th these are down hole cameras that you can send down to the hole, and that yeah. can 
measure that can actually take a picture of the walls of the correct? inside of the drill of the inside yeah. and that way it's because the, the only the only problem i have with rc and rad is yeah. that you lose that really important information the structure. structure. Yes. And so um, the one way to get around that is to do that televiewing, yep. to be able to get that image and then using computer models to be able to see, measure the angles yeah. of the structures and the yeah. holes. So um, I was wondering though, wouldn't water or maybe driller grease from the drilling process interfere with this camera? Yeah, it water, no, they could actually muddy water will. Okay. So actually muddy water. Because they will. can't see the walls. But yeah, but right. real, uh, so that's when they were historically our, our industry, like the majors were using an acoustic televiewer mm. and not an optical. So ours is an optical. Like an ours orca? is like, Well, yeah, so it actually sends it, yeah. It's and, a, a little, and what it does is it'll find the cracks. What? So you actually could see through the muddy water, the but, but you don't really see the actual rock, but you can see the crack with these yeah. acoustic. But our optical is like a camera, so you actually see the quartz veins. And you'll see it in the water. When you go into water, as long as it's clear water, yeah, you're yeah. still in the money. And grease? What about that? We don't get, we don't hardly use any grease or in, like in rab drilling. Like no. And so, no, like, no, well, we don't use any mud with rab because it's all air. So Blast yeah. it out, okay. Yeah, like the only thing we may have to do is power wash the walls. Put 10 gallons of water and blow it up. Okay. <laughs> and that kind of scrubs your walls. So we usually don't have any hangups with, with the whole process like it's yeah. pretty smooth straightforward go 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 yeah well we've been debugging it for the last few years That's but true. each like step has been like the rap so like i'll tell you the way we debugged it this year like our my modif or the modifications that i'll throw in at the table is we we're only up to production of 56 meters last year mm -hmm. that's because we were moving the drill every day so after they drill a hole they have to drill it. so it takes about three or four hours so now we have an, an afternoon shift that works from noon to midnight and they come on <clears throat> basically offset from the drilling shift and they move the drill from seven o'clock in the evening on. So they prep the next drill site. And then when the drillers are done, they're, they're seven. We teleview it from seven to eight thirty. Televiewer is done. Then all the gear is moved to the next drill pad so that when the drillers wake up in the morning, they just go to work. And so that's wow. now we're hitting our hundred meters every day. Uh, like clockwork in a 10 12 hour shift well done Sean. so no it's kind of a cool program like it's fun like that's my job is to it's just efficient well like some of our biggest we've had a really big hurdle this year that was it'll be a game changer forever like this will set the industry like we've always cut lines in the bush <clears throat> so because we had to measure that line because we had to put that line physically on a map. Mm -hmm. But since the world of GPS has come in, so that gives us better accuracy, but we were still cutting a line. So let's say our hammer drills. So here's one problem that we had. So I've always wanted to tweak this even better. So we cut a line because we're putting, a, we're putting a, a hole every five meters. So the point was, is the guys have to cut. So if they come up to a big pile of brush in front of them, they still have to cut their way through that to measure that five meters to make a straight line. So I said to uh, our guy, Isaac, who's from Ground Truth, I said, look it, we're all walking around with phones in our, that's what we're using as data loggers now. So those are the modern data loggers. So I said, why don't we basically, I don't really need a station every five meters in a straight line. If I think there's a NOR zone moving and it's, you know, it could be 40 to 50 meters wide. Well, and I'm putting lines every, let's say, 100 meters across that section. Well. I, I just need that five meter perfectly kind of representative in an increment, but I don't need them straight. They could be over the course of, let's say, 20, my, 20 meters. So what we ended up doing was 
I created an artificial grid that we actually put on a figure. So I give the actual, so I give you a corridor. So now it's not a line, but I give you a 20 meter corridor to walk. And we artificially put lines every five meters on the figures. But we have a new GPS that just came out last year mm -hmm. that looks like a hockey puck. You put it on a crazy wooden staff. That's what we're using. And so it's just a wooden <laughs> that he pulled out of the bush, but it's above the guy's head, the geologist's head. And it gives him Bluetooth into the phone, gives him 25 centimeter accuracy. Wow. So if he just moves it like this, it actually shows. So now what I do is I put the background map of this corridor with the artificial lines every five meters. And I say, I don't care where you are, hit that line, you that's where you're gonna hit it. But if you have to go over there and hit the next five meters and go around that tree and hit it over there, you're allowed to do whatever you want. Just don't try to cut any trees. These guys, now we used to have to cut all the time. They're not even cutting any trees hardly. Like they'll maybe cut two trees in a day, like if that. Like they're able to wiggle their way through so that breakthrough is a aha moment that a lot like this is going to be a, the take just because it brings down environmental disturbance disturbance yeah. yeah so now you don't have anybody cutting and so this is what like the problem that we have as an industry you don't have and, drill pads well that's well you see what happened is that like our world like especially in the yukon we see that from a distance because we're not flat so if there's a hill and the guy's cutting a straight line over the hill you can see that you can see it from the air because it's it looks odd you don't see that in Ontario or Quebec because it's swamp, <laughs> but here you do. So they're more a little bit, uh, we, we, we like to minimize that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So now this technique as now previous to this was a trench, a big trail through the bush, ding, ding, ding. Now we're out of all that. We're kind of like ghosts kind of moving through. So that'll be, uh, that is kind of our new method. Uh, so that was last week's breakthrough. Like literally the guys are all pumped. It works, cool. so and so good. now the G. The, now we're gonna do this with the like this new hockey puck <laughs> GPS. Like it's crazy, right? And it just came out last year. Okay. I want to have like a really tiny mini one, so geologists can put it on their rock hammer. So <laughs> when they lose their rock hammer, oh, yeah. they can go back. Yeah, yeah, and find the number things. of hours that geologists waste in the field looking for their, their bloody hammer. Uh, but Anybody who denies it. But it's fun, We've like that's more than one. <laughs> see, that's the technique, say eh? technology is moving, yeah. so we have to stay with it. But that's what's incredible is that our phones now, that's what our our new data but you know how I figured that out? Mushroom picket. Go on, of course, <laughs> definitely. Finally, well, yeah. long way to topic. I've been dying to talk about all day. <laughs> so but that's kind of how we take yeah. technology and kind of improvise it and But you know what's it. so cool and what I really like about you, Sean, is that um, you we have all this technology. And everyone's just sometimes trying to recreate the wheel on how to use it. But I like what it is that you're doing because you're you're not overcomplicating it. Yeah. You're taking technology but bringing it back to the practical, the fundamental, yeah. the easy, the efficient. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Yeah. If you do things properly, like it's like a carpenter, you know, you measure was it you measure twice, cut once. Yeah. And your approach is very much that same approach. Like you're you're just putting it all down and then you kind of figure out and doing so you save money make it more efficient and on top of it too you probably get a good geology sort of map out of it well that's which is something that the yukon is completely lacking well this is what parts. we're that's where we're like like right now like it's like right now we're trying oh, to actually yeah. it's kind of fun we're trying to actually make geology maps with science sometimes so now what we're doing is like we've got a whole kind of well we have one geo dedicated to this right now for rock property measurements and we're jumped all over this because now when we do our oh, geophysics, like yeah. yeah, well now we get magnetic susceptibility, resistivity, chargeability, and like a whole bunch of parameters 
that we're allowed to put into the geophysics model and Next then level. spit out a geology map yeah. based on this. And for, for our listeners that are listening, you might not know this, but the Yukon is, is really thickly covered. Um, a lot of the, the rocks here in this particular part in the Klondike um, has just been slowly rotting away. It's, it's essentially regolith, just yeah, kind of like Australia. Right. Um, so it's just been sitting there rotting away and it's all undercover. And so that's probably one of the reasons why, you know, the, the Klondike source has always been so elusive is because it's under this thick overburden and it's difficult to find geophysical methods to, to bring out that geology map, which is what all explorers need. Um, and you know, really interestingly enough, I was actually speaking to this expert geophysicist the other day and we were talking about radiometrics and he was talking about like. Radiometrics is really useful to use for mapping. It, it, yeah. it measures the uranium, thorium, and, and potassium signatures in the rock and different gradients. And it's really good in areas that hasn't really been moved by glaciers. And I was like, oh my God, what about the Yukon? I was like, is this a great place for radiometrics? Because you can bloody draw up a geology map out of that image. Like you wouldn't believe it. And it's always taken with magnetic surveys. Yes, that's right. And I asked Craig, I said, I was just talking to Craig yeah. Hart from MDRU yeah. earlier. I said, Craig, what about, what about radiometrics? He says, it works beautifully. Yes, that's right. And so apparently that'll be like the next cool thing. Is well, like we've been doing it quite a bit. With radiometrics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's no, no. the images? Oh, no, they come out. Well, we've been doing that with the airborne surveys. Like okay. With the airborne. So, yeah. but, uh, but now we're trying a new technique this year here. It's called frequency EM. And it's an old airborne survey. But it was mostly used for uh, base metals. Mm. But because it's really super high res in the top 100 meters versus time domain, like the instrument is like from the 1970s, early 80s, but the processing power, the post-processing has gone to another level with the computer world. True. So now we're basically, we just tried an experiment and we've targeted all of our soil anomalies with this survey uh, for the last month and a half. And it's worked like a dream. So we just doubled that. But the point is, is it's a kind of a new way of looking. It's an old tool, an old tech, yeah. But it's but a, it's a, it's a, it's a new way of looking. And when you say we, who are you talking about? Well, we have a team like with the ground, like truth. With the ground truth team, and like so, we have geophysics guys in there and geologists oh, in there. Okay. So, so it's kind of like how do we? That's my job is to actually present like uh, ways of looking at data that'll jar a geologist and go, oh, I think there's something here. So. I'm kind of the middleman amongst everybody that I'll go talk to the, the geophysics squirrel. guy and bring them over to the geos and you got to produce them a map this and I don't care what you're looking for. Look for the weirdest thing in this underneath <laughs> this and like so then I let him go and then he's gone for a couple like you know for the day Dang. trying to figure that out. <laughs> yeah well then they'll come back and bring a map and oh that looks totally cool. Okay yeah. now let's get the geos to look at this. What do you guys think of that? And then so then you're getting a lot of different eyes looking at the same. Which is cool because usually in in a company you don't quite get that integration. No. Especially in, even in university geologists and geophysicists. I always knew when I walked into the geophysics department because I had no idea idea where I was <laughs> and um, that's generally the case like it's a very it's a very separate well sort that's of field. So where, it's nice where, to have well when I grew up like I worked with Kid Creek Exploration in Timmins they had a geology team geophysics geochemistry and the and basically the, there was draft people there the mm -hmm. draftsmen doing their doing the they were doing the mylar stuff so but most of us when we're exploration from a junior you either stick to one set of tools, like I'm a geologist, or I'm a geophysicist, or I'm this, or I'm that. But my job is to try to bring, I call it- Bring everyone together. Well, it's kind of like legs on a chair. And if you have only three legs, you get, you're get you on a wobbly chair. But if you have 
geology, geochemistry, geophysics, and structure. You have the four fundamentals. And you wrap that around oh, yeah. together. Dream team. Now you've got a, a high probability of a target when you actually pull all them things. And then you have you in the middle just keeping the peace between it. Well, that's kind of, or, or my lovely wife does that. Oh, okay. She's the one who deals with the people. <laughs> I'm dealing with all these. Uh, I'm, I'm in the bush on the side everybody. there trying to figure out new ideas. So, But it's kind of, uh, so that's kind of the goal is to actually, because that's, this is a low, like, well, as the, you know, as I learned quite a few years ago, this is the only uh, business where the norm is to fail. So you think about that as a business model. Yeah. <laughs> like we got to figure this out better here. So that's the way we increase our odds is by, you know, we don't know if it's economical, but my job of grades in the ground, but I know I could have a high probability of finding where that hot spot is. Mm -hmm. And so and that's by trying to combine all these different levels and different characters on the same table, looking at the same map. And when they say drill here, it's based on a lot of probabilities in there. So that's what you're doing with white gold, right? Yeah. So to go back to white gold right now, um, they're, they're, you guys are performing that systematic yeah. drone to drill approach on that property as we speak, yeah. I think. That's right. Yeah. So we, what I did, it was white gold is I took all my claims, put them all in one basket yeah. and sold the idea of a business plan to Agnico Eagle, that it's a three year plan that we're going to systematically work each project with not a big budget, but with a good enough budget <clears throat> that allow us to drill up to 25 to 30 holes per target. We'll drill six of those a year. So we'll have six projects to drill. So we're gonna drill 200 holes a year over the next three years. So 200 this year, 200 next year. So then the projects that we're gonna drill next year, we're doing the geophysics, geology, getting it tuned up, getting the hammer drill in there and the geophysics. And then we'll rad drill it next year. Cool. And so the idea is that we'll have a pipeline for the next three years. And that's what's kind of unique with the company is Ignico loved the idea, finance, fully financed us for the next three years. So the idea is that we're the recon team. We're in there to figure it out, low light impact, quick. And then if we find something, which statistically there should be minimum one, high probability of two, probability a good likelihood of three potential deposits in our portfolio, it's a large language. Yes, yeah, so it's like, I, I don't know how many hectares, but it's, it's over it's 20. Tons. Yeah, it's yeah. over 20,000 claims. So it's 40% of the district. So the idea is that if we make a discovery, then we'll follow it up with a phase two drilling that's outside of our budget of the recon, because that's 15 million over the next three years. So then we have a $10 million budget for anything we fought, we find. <laughs> we'll give it a million dollar advanced stage drilling. And then if it still looks good, we might probably spin that company out and then Ignico and potentially Kinross will finance that separately okay. as a separate vehicle. And if they like it, then they could buy that one out, but we're not cut off on our path for the white gold to kiss all these targets over the next three years. So, because the problem that most juniors have is they could have a big portfolio and as soon as they make a discovery, they usually focus on that and then they don't leave that spot and then if they get bought out, they get no value for all their other claims. Ah, another good angle. So, show. oh, no, no, no. I watched this one happen with like, You're so. Been thinking. No, no, no. Well, you see, like the underworld that bought out by Kinross wasn't for the white, it was for the JP Ross. Right. Because there was such a good soil anomaly on that that flared up at the end of the season. And Kinross loved that target. And so they took out underworld. 
paid him for the value on the white, but never paid him value on the JP Ross. <laughs> so, so this is where I kind of, so we had to, yeah, this so clever. this, this whole business setup was kind of a unique that we're not going to get taken out. So management owns enough paper for this white goal because I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. So I'm taking mm -hmm. a chance of getting taken out for when we were at 20 cents at a buck, right? But now we're sitting at two ball, $2 with all the money in the bank. And we still own enough management stock with Ken Ross and Nico as major partners. So we could hold, so we're not liable to a hostile takeover now. Cool. So it's kind of, and now we got these two guys working. <clears throat> we had to get them to shake hands. That was kind of unique. Getting Nico and Ken Ross to go, okay. Did you bring your wife in for that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. She now was part of it. Yeah, a little everybody, bit. Everybody, just be friends. Okay, yeah. Come but on, it was kind of, so hug. they kind of had to look at it, but it was kind of good because then they realized, well, crap, okay, if we do make a discovery or two, well, that's your department. You guys put it in production. Yeah. You know, I've done my department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting, so it's kind of like working for the majors. Like it's, it's kind of like working with the majors, but we're working as a junior. But it's, yeah. and that was kind of my goal is let's get back to, I call it 1980 exploration. Yeah. The people who know that era knew that's when geology had colored, nice colored oh, maps. And best. they were it's like, cool. that harsh. was that was when exploration was at its peak. Yeah. And then, so then it kind of degraded since then because, well, people just, they, well, they disbanded the whole thing and then the junior market came up. And, oh, the street, everyone got laid off. Yeah, yeah. So then they all became presidents of junior mining companies and so then my all, generation came yeah like because because you see all these good geos that were good in the field all became the presidents yeah yeah and then they never went to the field and again. they never went back to the field <laughs> so and then our, our generation came in it was 2007 and, or, then, and then and they were just like here's uh all these big projects and i'll check in with you in two months yeah so that's exactly see you later and, and I'm they've just never like, <gasps> Yeah, yeah. What the hell are we doing? Yeah, I know. So that's exactly. <laughs> and so we saw that, but we, we survived and I'm still alive. So um, now the other really cool story yeah. about with with uh, white gold is before it was G4G. So um, I, and from what I hear, too, is that when you optioned your claims to G4G. Yeah. I think it was the same day, if not the next day, you began a huge staking rush in Newfoundland. Yeah. Around the, the central area. So, yeah. you know, where Marathon Gold is. So, um, and you, you stake so many claims in Newfoundland that you crash the system. Yep, that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> they promised it wouldn't happen and it happened. So, so the system was down for like two, two weeks? Two weeks, yeah, yeah. So that we thought it was gonna be down for a day or so, but ended up being down for two weeks. So that kind of festered, because now the word was out, Sean was in, the, in Newfoundland now. Newfoundland. And now it was, but they had two weeks to, grind it and think and crap we still can't stake and we want to stake so it was like pent up energy as soon as they opened up this <laughs> the day to stake and there was another eight thousand claims staked that that day or something like that the next now now those claims went into um that that one i, I stole this or optioned it to stratton to stratton, stratton. that's right so yeah. stratton has has those claims yeah now i'm i'm intrigued why why did you jump straight into newfoundland i was there the, Aside their, from the obvious, yeah, this well, is an amazing place. Well, their <laughs> geological survey guys were fantastic. And so what I ended up doing was they invited me down there, actually flew me in. I had a look around Newfoundland. Like, uh, they showed me around, showed me their department. These guys are actually fantastic. They remind me a lot like the Yukon Geological Survey. Their database was like, bar, like it was like excellent for going online and looking at data. Their geologists were there for 25 years. Their geophysicist guy was there for 20 years. They're still there 25 years. So it, it told me that these guys have a lot of knowledge. 
And it was kind of like when I used to deal with Mike Berkey with the, the survey here. Oh, yeah. So you're getting some, so that's where I started going, okay, that was the foundation and it was a good area to explore. And then they had some, some fairly good uh, programs to go in for subsidy programs to go and explore there too, but their JAE program and uh, junior assistance program. And uh, yeah, I ended up uh, kind of floating around on the island without nobody knowing about it. Floating for, uh, around. Yeah, yeah, for, uh, for a season. And a staggering. And Newfoundland well, is usually a stagger. Well, what happened was, yeah, well, we stayed off of George Street for a oh, while. Yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> but the okay. idea was we were sneaking around because I didn't stake anything. And so we evaluated oh. big tracts of land on unclaimed ground because I didn't want to get the cat out of the bag. And then we made some good, uh, interesting correlations with good proper soils and geophysics enough that uh, that basically Stratton bit the bullet and... and but it was kind of a strategy of when to stake because I had the ground figured out mm. months and months. So they had to actually raise the money first. Then I was going to stake and then we had the budget to go do the work. So that's right. how we ended up doing that process. So um, so how's your how's your Newfoundland accent then coming along? Uh, the, the life of the <laughs> kind of half and half. Is it half Scars or half newbie? But <laughs> So for, for our listeners, I'm a Newfoundlander. And although you might not hear it in my accent, but we have we have a very unusual accent. Normally, it's very. Uh, what do you have there, boys? Yeah, yeah. What's going the, on? You know, the boys, the boys, the boys. Yes, bye. Yeah. Like, go on, go on with you. Yeah. Jesus. <gasps> yeah. Like that. Yeah, yeah. No, We're it's kind of to... they're they're a nice group. Like uh, like like personally, if I wasn't in the Yukon and I was twenty five years younger, I'd be in Newfoundland. You'd be in Newfie. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I like, crazy. and you know what's kind of cool there is they got a lot of swamp. So nobody has been going into the swamps. <laughs> so this is what Unless I'm... Unless you're berry picking. Yeah, 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 I you, guess so. There's berries there, Sean. Oh, yeah. There's mushrooms, but there's more yeah, berries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're going to diversify your yeah, interests now. Gold, mushrooms, yeah, and well, berries. Yeah, no, the berries. Actually, we looked at berries way back when. <laughs> you eat them. You don't yeah. even just look at them. But anyway, Commercially thank you. picking. Yeah, thank you so much yeah. for joining us. What a great chat with you. And um, always a pleasure seeing you around these parts. Yeah, well, stay tuned because we're always working on new ideas and there'll be a, there'll be a, new, a new fire flaring up here pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a great day. Yeah, thanks. Today we're here with uh, Ranj Pillay, uh, Minister of Economic Development and Deputy Premier of the Yukon Territory. Thanks for joining us, Ranj. Great. Thank you very much, man. Um, it's sort of an apropos of time, obviously. We're up here at the annual uh, Yukon Mining Week um, and uh, at the Dawson uh, Show. Uh, so I wanted to start a little bit. Uh, obviously, you've been on the job for a while now. Uh, mm -hmm. We originally met at Roundup when you've just sort of been transitioning into the role. Um, so maybe the first question is just a little bit of uh, looking back, what have you learned and how have things been going so far? You know, certainly, I think what we've uh, we've we've had a lot of good news. Yeah. You know, that's that's definitely made the job um, easier. Um, certainly, we have a tremendous act, amount of activity uh, from the investment side that's been happening. Um, you know, our first opportunity to speak together was back in January in Roundup, and at that point, our government was uh, about a month and a half yeah. to two months on the job, and and certainly at that point, we were um, you know sitting with all of the different corporate players. Um, to uh, you know, to ensure that we understood their priorities and they understood um, you know our government's commitment to the sector. 
um, through the months, I think of March and April and, and continued on, the, the good news continued. So whether it's, you know, good news coming from Kinross or Newmont or, uh, or Barrick, um, you know, we've got five of the 10 big players, uh, the top 10, five of the top 10 in, in the gold sector here. So um, that's been good news. Um, and, and, you know, I think just learning that uh, in order to properly support an industry in this type of cycle, you, you you just don't stop. Yeah. So that's that. I guess that's the biggest lesson yeah. that we've learned. And is there sort of anything that maybe any challenges or anything that you found more difficult or or, or that that's that's sort of come to the forefront for you? Um, I think it's it's just there's in a cycle like this there's so much activity and you know our government is committed to ensuring that companies that are moving forward have access to um, to the support. Um, of government, the First Nations governments also have that support. We want to we want to have that equal balance in how we make sure that all the stakeholders can move along. And and so the biggest challenge is really you can imagine we have um, a number of First Nations governments that have activity in their backyard. They're all they're all excited about it. They just and, and their concern is that it's done in an in an appropriate way and in a respectful way. The companies, of course, are extremely excited and. Um, I think the biggest challenge for us right now is, you know, we feel that we are on center stage, and um, we want to we want to make sure that we we get it right. So, I think it's just, you know, balancing um, all of those things. We, we're digging in on a series of different elements that we've committed to. Um, our MOU table, which um, we discussed a little bit um, back in January, is now uh, in, in full uh, motion. That's um, you know, a commitment that we made with First Nation governments to have a table where we have a shared set of uh, priorities and work plans and timelines to get that moving. Um, excited to look at a, a, a mineral development strategy, um, revisiting that concept, but doing it in complete collaboration with First Nations governments and then ha- and industry uh, to ensure that everybody's moving in the same direction, which is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the regulatory side of things for any jurisdiction is is more cumbersome to deal with, but committed to that and, and making sure our First Nation partners are there to help us, um, you know, eliminate duplication, make things more efficient. So those are, uh, you know, some of the key pieces. I think time, you know, it's government. I've come from a private sector background. I like things moving quickly, like in the private sector. So I think when you, you know, you, you, you uh, apply for funding um, and you're waiting to build, like we're excited about building massive amount of infrastructure and uh, whether it's ensuring that we have better connectivity um, from a technical standpoint or, uh, or even just looking at how we build more road infrastructure and energy infrastructure. Um, you have to partner with the federal government because of the cost in the north. So those elements, um, you know, then you apply and you do all the work and then you got to wait. And so yeah. that's that's part of it. And, and interestingly, that that's a perfect segue into my next question because sure. I wanted to talk a little bit about the federal government. Um, and obviously, uh, one of the things we discussed um, at Roundup in January was uh, S6. Sure. Um, and now Bill C-17 um, and sort of what's happening there. Um, and so I just wanted maybe a little bit of background, um, you know, some of the maybe industry might be a little worried, obviously, uh, about what's going to be the end game here, what the end product is with the federal government. Yeah. Uh, so maybe just a little background or, or some color on those discussions and, and sort of what your what values you're pushing when you talk to to uh, the federal representatives and, and in that process. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, you know, we in order to build a good relationship with your um, First Nations governments, you have to have you have to build that trust and, and you have to have those honest conversations. And you know the reality of how where Bill C seventeen 
um, grew out of was that disenchantment with the process of Bill S6. And so what we've now seen is this coalescing of all the players in the mining sector. Um, there's some, there's definitely, you know, there, there's feelings of some concern. How do we continue to have a great regime? But what we've seen is the Yukon Chamber of Mines uh, stand right behind the First Nations coming out and signing an agreement, an MOU between the first between the mining sector and the Council of Yukon First Nations. That's not happened before. So there's, you know, that's kind of come out of this process. And then in the Legislative Assembly, we've had all three political parties stand together. So you've had previously the, the previous government, the Yukon Party, that stood behind and supported Bill S6 now moving away from it. So we actually passed a motion in the Legislative Assembly um, unanimously between all three parties that supports the, the change. So ha now our focus is we, we've got this um, really support probably 99% of the you know population saying, hey, we feel we have to support Bill C-17. We understand there's some elements of the previous bill that were, that were effective. And so the discussions are continuing to happen between the mining sector and First Nations, between the Yukon Chamber of Mines as well. Um, some great leadership there with their um, executive director, Samson and uh, Hartland and, and Mike Berkey, and they continue to have this dialogue. And then of course, with the Grand Chief Peter Johnston and their executive director, Shadell Chambers. On the side, we're continuing to, to, to let that conversation happen, but also speaking at the MOU table about how do we, how do we now come up with a solution to take those good elements that we think there are some elements on, you know, we don't want to see people going through uh, a cumbersome process on reassessment and with timelines. So that's a commitment we've made. We, we, we feel there's some good elements. So right now, as we understand it, the bill is um, still moving through the second process. Reading. Yeah, second reading. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the fall, um, likely see that, of course, back on the, on the docket. And, um, and, and certainly, you know, letting industry uh, and First Nations governments talk through to see if there's a, there's a short-term solution, potentially, or the discussions I've had with the federal government is, and with the representative of the senior policy representative with uh, the federal minister, is what are our, our series of options. So, first of all, looking within our own regime, um, even some of the uh, previous government members uh, we discussed this in Legislative Assembly. They felt that Bill S6 was not the best way to go, that there was actually some language within our own legislation. So digging into framework that we already had and to look at some of these things. So um, certainly a priority for us and um, listening to industry to ensure that uh, we come up in the short term with some processes that are going to help. Yeah, and, and interestingly, staying on the, the federal side, because mm -hmm. another discussion that's going on is, is obviously we've all heard about this sort of uh, panel that's looking at the overall environmental review process. Yeah. Um, and they put out a report um, recently that sort of concerned some of the extractive industries in terms of how they wanted to revamp the overall EA. And I'm mm -hmm. just wondering, as a territory, obviously you have to go to the table and talk to them about yeah. those discussions. And I'm just wondering, um, just some thoughts on, on some of the findings they had. I'm not sure if you actually, I'm sure you did read the report, but but uh, also maybe um, what your discussions are with the Fed in terms of that review, in terms of the EA review. Yeah, there's a, there's within our government too. There's a there's there's a review process that also takes into consideration the uh, prerogative of First Nations governments as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, I believe it it's it's housed within our Executive Council office and our devolution transfer agreement process. I mean, what we've heard 
and and this is what I stand behind. We, we you know, we, what we've heard from industry mm-hmm. when we talk to um, investment side, the yes. investment side, whether and fairly significant, like you know, the investment houses or an industry. And I've touched on this a couple of times. When you look at somewhere like British Columbia, and you have a two-tiered approach, um, where you've got a federal decision that has to be made, and then a provincial decision that has to be made, and then in our case, we're lucky that we have a one-stop shop. We, you know, as you and I have just talked about, we feel there's some elements to it that have to be improved. Mm-hmm. So, the prerogative, I mean, until we have a complete, uh, I guess profile of all the stakeholders because mm-hmm. I definitely don't want to speak on behalf of the First Nation governments. Mm-hmm. There's dialogue that is happening that's going to lead to sort of a collective voice on the topic. But what I would say is I think what we have to do on our regulatory regime now mm-hmm. is improve what we have before looking at deconstructing this and 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 uh, and sort of changing the whole game. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say at this particular point. Okay. That. Interesting. And, and and the other thing, uh, it's sort of on, on the same topic, is, is the golden, or obviously the majors are here now, as you mm-hmm. mentioned at the onset, in, in quite a large number. Um, and I was wondering, as a, as a jurisdiction um, who's sort of seeing this for the first time, essentially, this sort of big push by a number of large cap companies, um, I'm just wondering, uh, sort of, has it changed anything up here, firstly, and and what sort of are the discussions like with companies that have such a multinational footprint that, that are so global and in, in scale? Yeah. I mean, you know, I started my morning off with, you know, it's we're in Dawson City. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, uh, in the Klondike region. And my first chit chat today was with the CEO of Gold Corp you yeah. know, at the downtown hotel. I mean, we're I think that all the corporate leaders that are coming here, first and foremost, they're minors. And so, you know, I think that people are, you know, they're in first and foremost, many the no matter what role they play within these large companies, they're very down to earth individuals and they understand and many of them have worked up through the system and they've worked in very varying regions across the globe. Um, certainly I um, I uh, I put my uh, you know, my listening hat on. They have an immense amount of understanding about what happens. At a uh, at a global level, mm-hmm. there's a reason they're investing here. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, I think dialogue with their teams is key, mm-hmm. um, and I also think that there's some things that happen here within our junior mining sector that everybody can learn from. Um, our junior miners do a fantastic job of um, understanding corporate social responsibility. They understand the pace to work with people, um, and so I think that it's important as well for the you know. For that, for the that cross pollination of concepts between junior mining sector and the majors, um, if you you know, and how to build proper relationships to get projects to, to, to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason uh, that that the majors are also looking here, and uh, they're leaving other places, mm-hmm. and so there's something that we have to offer as well. But certainly, uh, I think that you know, having that level of um, of strength in the industry standing with us and being able to learn and stand with us as we have dialogue with the federal government and, and other players is going to be um, extremely significant in moving things that we need to move. And just one final question. Um, I just wanted to circle back on infrastructure because mm-hmm. uh, you, another thing you mentioned on the onset that I wanted to cover. Um, and I was just wondering if there was any sort of updates on specific projects or anything that you are viewing as a priority right now that you want to look at when you talk to the federal government about uh, potential projects you could work together on. Yeah, I think yeah. as a government, what we've tried to do is continue to have the dialogue. Um, 
a consistent dialogue with the federal government is extremely important. Uh, you know, I've had a number of former federal ministers, uh, you know, say to me, "You got to you got to keep those lines of communication open." And we know that with the federal government. So what we're trying to do is continuously remind them about what our priorities are. A couple of things that we we're working on that we think are pretty significant. First of all, um, uh, tech. You know, from a technical standpoint, we need redundancy in the territory when it comes to fiber. As you see mining companies evolve and become and progress in how they operate, um, that's important to them. And um, so we're, we've been working with the federal government on an application, uh, and we're, we're hoping to get some positive news sort of over the next couple of months on that. Of course, um, there was a proposal in uh, by the previous government um, on a major infrastructure play mm -hmm. what's a road infrastructure play mm -hmm. um, part of the challenge with that project was that the social license wasn't there there's a lot of conflict that was happening legal conflict um, mm -hmm. so part of our the the, the Yukon government departments uh, working with First Nation governments have have done a tremendous amount of work and dialogue on that so that's something that we're um, we're hoping to hear some positive news about mm -hmm. as well and then um, you know, this last week we just had a six hundred million dollar announcement in funding for infrastructure in the in the north, from a on a multitude of topics, whether it be energy, road infrastructure, and uh, and then on top of that, you know, we're we're looking to get the terms of reference rolled out on that two billion dollar northern fund, mm -hmm. and I think in, and as you watch it, we also had another announcement <laughs> that was out from Mark Arno on on northern infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're looking to capitalize on all of the available dollars. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know we're, we're really excited about continuing to build our roadways, look at our energy and then and of course continuing to look at increasing our connectivity. So those are things I think we're going to have some exciting stories to, uh, to talk about you know over the next uh, you know, 90 days or 120 days. Okay well uh, this has been Matthew Keeble with uh, Raj Pillay, the Deputy Premier of the Yukon Territory. Raj, thanks again for joining us. Hey, thank you. Thank you for being here. Perfect.